point. We're living in a, you know, a modern age of uh, the new psychedelic renaissance. And I thought, this is, this is not real. This is, uh, uh, my gosh, I'm on the radio. People hear me. How we give to others and affect others' lives and uh, what we do with it is important. Don't focus on the rest of the world, just focus on your own life. And facts can't deal with emotions. It's, it's like apples and oranges. From his age and I'm age, I think we all, all, all be called the wood age. You're not picking a president, you're actually <laughs> picking a roommate. Because you don't know what their story is. You don't know what pain they're dealing with. Always part of me wanted an audience. It's naive to think that human beings have stopped evolving. Uh, the people are purple. The, the world is a very rich place if you start exploring. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to the podcast Point Counterpoint. I'm your host, Chris Wright. This is a Counterpoint Media production. Today, I brought on to the show Braca Goetz. Am I saying that right? Well, I say it Braca Getz, yes. but yeah, thank you. All right. So would you like to introduce yourself here? What, what are okay, you sure. Um, I'm the author of 41 books that help children's souls to shine. That's what they all have in common. And also um, one memoir about, that's the only book for adults, about my journey in my my spiritual journey, my journey to joy. Yeah. Very good. Would you like to start out talking about what's what's your origin story? Like what what got you interested in, in writing these these books? What what yes. that started started this journey for you? I I tried to write the books that I wanted to have as a child. Books that explain the world in a spiritual way and books that teach children happiness skills early on in life so they don't have to play catch up the rest of their lives. Um, but also, like, I, you know, I studied at Harvard and when I was an undergraduate, I took courses at the Graduate School of Public Health and Harvard Medical School because I love public health and I feel having a healthy body is also a part of letting your soul shine fully. So some of my books are about like healthy eating, why why should we eat healthfully, exercise, books about swimming safely, and books about the prevention of abuse. Because if a child goes through abuse as a child, it puts a huge covering over their soul. So their soul can't shine as brightly. So I have books like that and books just focusing on being a spiritual being and how to how to experience happiness in life and gratitude and like like the invisible book it, it's about all the things we believe in that are invisible like gravity you know you drop something it falls you let go of it there's an invisible force Feelings and thoughts and time, they're all invisible and yet we believe in them. So showing a child, it's not far-fetched to believe that we too are invisible. In essence, 
We are spiritual beings, we're souls, and there's an invisible God. We see the effects of all these things, even though we don't actually see. We don't see the gravity, we don't see the feelings, we don't see God, we don't see our souls, but we see the effects of them in this world. Excellent. I'd like to touch on something you, you said. You, you mentioned uh, the, the importance of you know taking care of, of the body and to take care of the soul. Um, but it, it's it's very similar to the to the classic Aristotelian idea that we are not we are not you know just souls we're not just bodies but you know we're that we're the hylomorphic uh, uh, union of of the body and soul together we are everything and so to take care of one is to take care of 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 both. Yes, we are the real self is a spiritual being, but we were put on this earth in a physical body, that's the clothing for our soul, to interact in this world and to reveal the sparks of spirituality in everything that exists. Every other creation that God has made, we are here to reveal those sparks and to get our, our souls to shine as fully in as possible in this world. We're here for just a limited amount of time in this physical existence to to do that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very good and it, it uh would you say that that these that these their children's books would you say that there's also uh they also have something to bring to adults as well because it reminds me of this there's this quote by c.s lewis it says a, a children's story that can only be enjoyed by children is not a good children's story in the slightest uh but i think Exactly. There's something very, there's something very uh, essential, you know, something so, so important, even within the simplest of fairy tales and stories, that can be experienced at higher and higher levels, you know, as you progress through life. You got it exactly. That is how you can tell a good children's book if it interests the parents as well, because usually children want the books read to them again and again. And, you know, the parents can't get sick of it either. It has to be interesting on many different levels. So that's what I love to do. People will ask, like, why is a Harvard grad writing basic picture books for children? Those are my favorite books. To distill the essence, to, to take deep and complex subjects and make them as simple and joyful and clear as possible so that a child can understand them. But the thing with children's books, like you're saying, it's, it's the only kind of book that's read by every age. It's read by the little children. It's read by the parents reading it to them, teachers, grandparents, and, and even teenagers. They see the books lying around and they'll read them when no one's looking. So everybody can absorb the messages from from children's books, which you, like you said, like Dr. Seuss, like these books can be loved on many different levels. Yeah, right? yeah because even though they're, they're fictional stories, they still show a, a, a more profound, higher level of truth, a more meta truth. They, they, they show reality how it is on another, another level. Uh, so, you know, you can, you can, you go, Thomas Sawyer, uh, Treasure Island, these are, these are all children's stories but they can be enjoyed at different ages in different ways. Exactly. Uh, or even 
even outside of the realm of books, you know, if you look at, you know, the, you know, SpongeBob or something, it's something where children enjoy it, but even, you know, even older people can still enjoy it at, in different ways. And they're exactly. Understand and, and different nuances that maybe a younger child didn't get it at first. Exactly. When you read it, you keep reading the books on different levels. You understand it on different levels as you mature. That's exactly how it works. And when you write a children's book, it can get right to their soul and make an imprint on their soul early on, which is why I just feel it's such an important medium, such an important medium to reach our children and give them the tools, the guidelines for how to live life in a joyful way as early as we can. Uh, I'm, I'm quite interested in, in the book you mentioned on, on all the invisible things. So what, what would you like to go more into detail on that? Yeah, yeah, oh, here it is. Wait a minute. The invisible book, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, basically. <laughs> the invisible book that's visible. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the, like one of the things is electromagnetism. Why does a magnet pick up a paperclip? That's one I didn't mention. It's mm -hmm. an invisible force. A child sees this happening in their life. What's going on? So there's all these forces working all the time. There's yeah, we, a, we, we can't see it, but we know that it exists within reality. Yeah. Exactly. We totally accept that. So, you know, it's really just the ego that pushes God away, you know, yeah, edging we can, God we can still out. Measure the effects of it very clearly. Exactly. Exactly. We can still measure the effects. That's what we do. We're here seeing the effects of all these things. Yes. And yeah, it's gravity. It's the wind is blowing, the air, the magnet, the boy with the magnet, <laughs> and, and the feelings that we have. And um, it's that's what it's saying. What's going on in this world? All these things that were created. Who makes the babies and the flowers grow? Who makes the whole world run just so? We can't see God. That may be. But look what God does for you and me. You know, there's. It's endless. And. But yet, if you don't want to see it, then you don't see it. So this is just opening opening children's eyes to be able to see it. That's what I wanted to see as a child. Um, I wasn't brought up with a spiritual understanding. And I kept searching for it for years, desperately searching. What it manifested for me in symptoms of food addictions. So... Um, you addictions basically is when a person's trying to fill the emptiness inside with externalities and the emptier a person feels the more desperately they try to bring in these externalities to cover up that hole and it doesn't last long so the addictions get stronger and stronger and that's what happened to me because i had no idea how to fill the emptiness I did not know that that hole was a spiritual hole and that that's what fills it, spiritual nourishment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's there's that that innate 
a very profound desire for God that's present in, in all of us. And, it, and that's why I, I like to say that there are very few true atheists that you know, they they have other names for for God, but they they always they always they always uh, look at one thing within nature and call it that God. So it might be money, it might be they might just call it a force or an energy, but they they always call it something. It might, it might be it might be it might be a mistaken theology or whatever, but they always call they always look to something. Yes, uh, because humans are intrinsic are naturally religious. It's part it's part of it's, it's part of our, our lot in life. Uh, so, you know, we, we have natural natural urges. You know, we have a, a desire to, this is, this, C.S. Lewis has had this argument before, and there's, it go, there's early church fathers as well talk about this, but um, we have this, uh, we, we have natural desires for, to eat, to drink, to have, you know, in, within nature. And so it goes to show that we also have the natural inclination towards God. Uh, and so, but, while while food, uh, it gives it give, there's diminishing returns. So you know you you have to keep keep eating more in order to keep getting that satisfaction. Uh, but th that's because it's all finite. Whereas God, the infinite, uh, there are no diminishing returns because it's because that only is for the finite. Where you have to keep having more of a finite thing to keep getting finite. Uh, 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 I see. That makes sense. Returns. Uh, versus yes. Is eternal. Yeah. So what what I learned, I learned about something called the pleasure ladder, that the lowest level, it's got five rungs on it, which I think correspond to our five fingers. In, in other words, we could bring pleasure into our lives at any moment. We have that ability. And the five rungs on the pleasure ladder, they correspond to the five levels of the human soul. And the lowest level of the soul is the part of the soul that's connected to the body. And so when we, when we partake of all these things that were designed to be pleasurable, like, like the natural foods that God made, being in nature, music, exercise, dancing, swimming, all of these things that um, are sensual pleasures, they are designed to bring pleasure to the body and to the soul if we experience them with gratitude. That's the missing ingredient. If we don't experience that gratitude, then it doesn't nourish our soul as well. That's what changes it all. So, so Every rung on the pleasure ladder, the price we pay to experience it is, is gratitude. The, like the next level up and the next level of our soul up is, 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 is love. Love is this, the, the next level is focusing on the virtues of another. Here on the lowest physical level, we focus on the virtues of a thing like an orange, you know, something, a, a basic natural pleasure that, that God made to give us pleasure in this world. And, and here we're focusing on another being. And then, um, and we could, and, and it's not dependent on anybody. Cause like even in prison, 
a person could focus on the virtues of a grandmother that once did a kindness for them and be uplifted with that warm emotional feeling of love. So we we can bring it into our lives. And the next level up is meaning, doing something good and meaningful, where um, that's a more lasting soul pleasure again. Um, and here, again, we give back in gratitude. Like I, I was on another show and the guy said he, he ate two slices of pizza and he was feeling lonely and um, estranged and he was going to just plow through the whole box of pizza and someone knocks on his door. His neighbor needs his help. When he comes back, he doesn't want the rest of the pizza. He's he's filled up. He's filled up by doing something meaningful. And then he could put the rest of the pizza in the fridge for the next day. So it's 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 this is this is what really fills us up. And higher than that is creativity. When we are being creative, we don't feel like eating or sleeping. We're in a zone of such intense pleasure. And the highest is transcendence. When you know, we transcend our own limitations we, and we make that first crack in a bad habit and we recognize how we're all connected to the same source and we're all connected to each other. We transcend all the limitations. So all of this, the price to pay is gratitude to experience all these levels of pleasure in life and that's really what I learned is what we're here to do in life is to experience gratitude. We, we were just created because like a parent wants to give their child pleasure, the most pleasure possible. And that's what God wanted to give us. So this is, it, it just provides a framework. If a person is stuck in an addiction, they feel there's a scarcity of pleasure. And this shows that there's an abundance of pleasure available to us at any moment. Very good. Uh, you, you talked about uh, uh, food addictions. Would you mind go, going into that a little bit, uh, your, a little more your, your personal history and how, and how that has shaped your thinking? Yes. Um, it, it began, and... and <laughs> My memoir is, is called Nourish the Soul. It's, it's, it's my journey from age 12 to 32. Of you, it's, it's based on actual diary entries and journals and letters. So it's like a documentary. And you see, you see how I gradually developed the food addictions and then how I healed from it. Putting the book together... I actually saw the thread that tied it all together. I finally understood why when I finally was able to find the wisdom to nourish my hungry soul, why did the food addictions go away? Why did, there was no longer a need for them. What I was doing was like very restrictive dieting, fluctuating with like uncontrollable binge eating. It was one or the other. And it was a horrible way to live. An addiction is like a prison. 
and the walls get narrower and narrower. The more a person gets into the addiction and everything is done in secret so nobody knows how you're suffering. So um, even though I was at Harvard and things were getting worse, it has nothing to do with an intellectual understanding because that wasn't helping me. I was even researching these types of addictions. It wasn't helping me to get better. I was getting worse, sicker and sicker. It wasn't until I was able to actually fill my starving soul that I was able to recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, how would you describe the, the experience with, uh, with, with uh, filling, filling up those desires with, with food, like with, with dieting, with binge eating? Uh, would you, it wasn't, it was, you were, you certainly weren't fulfilled in the long term, but would you, would you describe it like exactly what was your more immediate sensory experience? When I was dieting, it gave me a sense of control because I felt like the world was out of control. I had no control. It was that feeling, oh, so I have a sense of control, you know, and but then how long could that last, you know? And I'd be so hungry. And then it would be these terrible binges. It had nothing to do with being physically hungry. It was totally a force inside of me, you know, um, out of fear, out of a sense of wanting control, out of a loss of trust. I didn't trust the world. I didn't trust myself. My life with all, it looked like I was a success on the outside, but I didn't even trust myself or trust the world or want to keep living. It's hard to believe, but I, because I didn't understand the purpose of life, I really, my life meant little to me at that point in time. So um, like if a, if a if I met someone in a bar and a guy would want to drive me home drunk, my life didn't matter to me. Like that would just happen in my, my values were gone. The world felt gray. It lost all the colors. So that's how it felt in this prison of addiction. It, it led to a, a sense of nihilism, a sense of loss of control. Uh, you're co- constantly searching for some little bit of meaning, some little bit of control that you can have over your life. You're, yes, and it, I gave it's up. Not, it's not like the the quote uh, from from the confessions. Uh, uh, you have made us for yourself, O oh Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. It's a it's a sense of despondency. You just kind of give up after a while. You don't really care because you don't see any purpose to it all. Why struggle? Why make an effort? I remember I I was describing it that people would get up every day to go to work, to make money, to buy food, to get up, to go to work. Why? Without a spiritual understanding, it was all meaningless. That much I could see. And I really didn't want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think I think this is a, a great thing thing you're doing. It's you know help, helping people to to find to find that that bit of meaning within life to try to have that 
you know, have that concrete grasp on reality, you know, to to be able to acknowledge what what you can't control, what you can't control, and be able to have that have that sense. Exactly. Yeah. Make it really clear to people. This is a world we were given this amazing garden, but we've made things so complicated, you know? Really, this was all given to us in gratitude. The beautiful tree outside my window, it's giving me the oxygen I need. We're giving it the carbon dioxide. It's like this incredible symbiotic relationship we have with the vegetation, with the animals, this incredible world. But we've, we've, in our sense of wanting to control things, I love that expression of ego. Ego is edging God out of the picture. The mm -hmm. more we put our ego in, the less gratitude we have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in, in, insanity is trying to cr cram the, the entire cosmos into your own mind. Hmm. Whereas uh, hmm. sometimes you need to accept that some of it is you know, bigger than yourself. Beautiful. That. Beautiful. What what is what is one of the main driving forces in your life? What what keeps you going? I'm. It's just. It is that I'm so grateful for all the blessings that have come my way. That I've been. That I've been grateful that the the purpose of life has been revealed to me. And that I'm getting now to share it with other people. The more I get to share it, it helps my soul to shine. So it's totally a pleasure, you know, and I, I'm really just, I, I'm so grateful to be here and to, to be blessed to be able to share all this. That, that That's the driving force. You know, um, in Judaism, the first word we say when we wake up in the morning is thank you that's part of our guidelines just grateful for another day of life what, what, what would, what would you, how would you describe your uh, uh, your spiritual routine what, what how how do you get your spiritual fulfillment what's your general uh, uh, routine your what good question um, What's your so, method is a better, better way to say it, yeah. Yeah, the guidelines that I learned, see, okay, I was, I was born Jewish, mm -hmm. but I wasn't taught the wisdom of my heritage. That's what I discovered as a young adult. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is that the word for Jewish is Yehudim. In the middle of that word is hood, Yehudim. Hood, it's Hoda'ah, it's gratitude. The essence, we're, we're the gratitude people. That's what we're doing all day long. From the minute we get up till we go to sleep, as I explained already, those are the first words out of our mouth. And all day long, we have different meditations to do to, to get our focus, to, to be aware of all the gifts we're getting. We say blessings before we eat anything, like an orange. We make a simple blessing. We say a blessing of thanks afterwards. A after going to the bathroom, there's a blessing to make. 
being grateful that our bodies are working right. All the tubes are working right. We're so blessed, you know? Um, it's about not taking things for granted. And for sure, not everybody, it's easy for, I could do these exercises by rote too and just forget the awareness. But they give us, these guidelines provide the opportunity to focus and have awareness and be a more grateful person all day long. So that's, those are the different guidelines that I'm doing all day. There's blessings to say. Um, we try to say a hundred blessings a day about, uh, you know, about rainbows, about seeing the ocean, about there's so many blessings to make. And um, that's what fills up my day. <laughs> Yehudim. So hood is is gratitude. What's what what are, what's the other two parts of the word? Uh, Yehudim, um, Yehudim. Im at the end is just plural. Mm -hmm. So it's the people of gratitude. That's that's who we are. Um, the hoda'a is actually the word for gratitude, and the word for gratitude is about recognition. It's recognizing, it's appreciating. That's what it's about. Um, recognizing the goodness in things. And that's recognizing God in everything. Yeah. Because God is goodness itself. Yeah. Uh, yes. Gratitude, it's, it's, a, it's a very important uh, virtue to, to have. Uh, I've, I've, I also find this, you know, you, you really experience life on a whole new level. Once you start, you know, acknowledging, you know, just acknowledging, you know, the beauty in things and, you know, in God, everything. It's, it's exactly it's a, it's a beautiful world you'll to, to look at. Yeah. To, to All the colors came back. The, you know, the, the good, the true and the beautiful. Yes, exactly. I feel like the pandemic was a huge push forward spiritually. The opportunity to be more grateful because so many things we took for granted were suddenly lost, you know? Um, being with other people, gatherings, hugs, even, and our breath. It, it, it got down to our breath to appreciate that we could breathe normally. Um, and so overnight, I feel we got pushed forward in a like in a spiritual evolutionary way, in a big way, kind of a revolutionary way with the pandemic to become even more grateful people and not take our daily lives for granted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it was like that for me as well. I find it interesting the way that just how much how much of that stuff that you really take for granted, you know, you that you don't think about. And I was like, wow. Now, that's really important. I didn't even think about that. Exactly. And most people would, would go, oh, yeah, you could just you know, get rid of it. It's like a, it's a, there's a thing called a, called Chesterton's Fence. And, uh, you know, you imagine that you're walking through the woods and you come upon a street and there's a fence in your way. And you're like, oh, this this fence is my way. I should, I should take it down so I can cross the street more easily. Uh, but the idea is you, you shouldn't immediately take that fence down because it, it until you know exactly what the purpose is of that fence. Right. Because you take it without thinking about it. And 
you suddenly realize that there was that there was other reasons you that you weren't even aware of that other functions that it was serving beautiful you were you know taken for granted so before taking down the fence you have to realize okay what's what was this perfect purpose is it still needed now and then afterwards you, you'll probably discover that you don't need to take it out anyway but beautiful yes pausing and taking life more slowly and carefully and with appreciation right not discounting the fence it's here for a reason probably let's explore with curiosity why yeah yeah it, it opens you up to that to that exploring mindset as well to be able to to look into the, the beauty of things and to be more you know, to have more gratitude to you know to experience things on that higher level yes that contemplative yes Do you have any uh, other final thoughts that you'd like to mention? Or... Um, let's see. Something my daughter said to me yesterday. Um, this is a Your mind is a garden. Your thoughts are the seeds. You can grow flowers or you can grow weeds. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah. What, what, one of my books is Don't Read This Book. It's, it's teaching children that there's a voice in our heads. All of us have it. That's trying to get us to focus on what we're lacking. Oh, I just need that toy. I just need that candy. And our job is to push it off. And that's how we grow our gratitude muscles, by exercising them pushing off it's like a dumbbell that voice in our head oh it's a dumbbell and 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 saying i'm going to be grateful for what i have already we we exercise it the more we exercise our gratitude muscles the stronger they become so we can learn this early on in childhood that voice that's in all our heads it actually was put there by God too. This is something I didn't realize until recently. That's why I, I finally finished this book, writing it, when I got this last piece of wisdom. That voice doesn't really want us to listen to it. It's put there by God so we can push it off and grow our gratitude muscles. And every minute, any moment that we're grateful is a moment that we're not being miserable. So just... Celebrate any moment of gratitude that you can experience. Very good. What, what would you say is, what would you, what was your favorite book of yours that, that you've written? Uh, okay. The one that you maybe learned the most from or the one that was the most, the most interesting? I'm going to pick my, my memoir because it tells the whole story. It's, it's very unusual because it's like a documentary. And it's kind of a psychological mystery. How do you overcome addictions and nourish your hungry soul? Because it's my own story, but I think it's a universal story. So I'm going to pick that, even though it's the only book I wrote for adults. But in terms of children, like the books about prevention of abuse, they are very popular and children love them, which I never expected. 
They're in about 150,000 homes and they're really helping to save lives. So I'm very grateful about that. And then I'll pick my newest book because this book took me 30 years to write. It took so much wisdom went into it to help children now to know how to bring gratitude into their lives. Yeah. Could you go more into the, into the don't read this book? Uh, uh, yeah. What's, what was like, the, don't, some of the main morals in there? Yeah. The don't read this book is it's, it's, it's that voice in our head saying, don't read this book or you're going to learn all my tricks. It's a fly, the fly. We, we try to shoo it away and it keeps coming back. No matter. So this is how it works. We are going to learn that this voice is going to be in our heads throughout our lives. It's that impulsive voice trying to get us to be miserable. Focus on what you're lacking. Oh, you're missing this in life. When we recognize it's that voice, the minute we call it by its name, it loses its power. That's when it goes away. Because recognizing, oh, you're that voice trying to make me miserable. Then, it's, then it loses its power. It's just when it's in there and we can't really tell, oh, who's talking? Then we might listen to it. So this is giving children that power early on in life. So they'll know, oh, you're telling me, like, here's a girl. She's got all this candy. She's, she's shopping in a store. Let me see if I could find that picture. But she's got all this stuff in her shopping cart. But, you know, she wants this one thing that she can't have and she starts crying and being miserable. And so that's that voice. Be so grateful for all that you have. Refocus. And this, like you said from the beginning of our conversation, this applies to children and adults throughout their lives. When we recognize it's that voice trying to make us miserable, we can overcome it. That's when we gain the power over it. You mentioned that you were surprised about some of the books about abuse and stuff uh, being popular amongst children. Would you, could you uh, uh, go into detail on that? Yeah, because I didn't expect that, that this topic would be so popular among children. What I learned is they love the guidelines. When children have guidelines, they are less afraid of the world. They feel more secure interacting in the world when they have a clearer sense of how to interact in it. And that's what helped me. So I understand that. Um, it explains to them, you know, people offer you candy. First of all, children are usually not molested by strangers. Like over 95%, it's people they know and trust. Yeah. So it gives children a sense of to be less afraid of interacting in our world because most molesters are not strangers. Stranger danger is not uh, the reality. Um, and so they learn that when people they know want to spend a lot of time alone with them or offer them a lot of treats, uh, take them on treats. We have to be wary and the parents have to be wary also because uh, molesters will try to groom the parents as well to get their trust and have alone time with the children. Um, 
it's really important for children to be aware of all this. And it's, as children read my books, it's prevented a lot of abuse from happening because educating children in advance is what they need. That's being proactive is really important. Also, unfortunately, when when the children when parents read these books with the children, sometimes it will get the child to explain that something has already happened to them, which they never discussed with the with the parent before. But it creates an atmosphere where the discussion could be out in the open, and that's really important for a child to be able to express um, an instance that happened to them and let the let the parent know about it. That, that's another thing that literature can do is that it it can open up you know you know conversations to previous experiences to you know to help people kind of understand their past better you know exactly clarify the present and hopefully uh, go into the future with more confidence. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It, it gets into the subconscious, you know, uh, children's books. And so it's it's valuable on so many levels. And it it helps to be able to reach the soul more directly mm-hmm. in, a, in a delightful way. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would, would, would you mind uh, going more into that about, about the way that, that it helps... Uh, Kind of dig deeper into into the soul. You know, like music can do that. Music, they say, is a gateway to the soul. Dance is another form. Imagination. We when we don't just do it in an intellectual, logical, analytical way. Um, I guess we um, utilize more elements of the right hemisphere of the brain too, and. Um, it helps with integration. Um, I learned that it takes 400 repetitions to form new synapses in the brain. But if we do them joyfully, if we do a new habit joyfully, 10 to 20 repetitions, and we've got it down. So that's why the children's books are extremely helpful too. If you learn things in a joyful way, you can more readily implement it into your life, the the lessons that you've learned. Yeah, that that imagination aspect is very important. It's like a kind of opening, like a portal, a door into this other world that you kind of immerse yourself in. Uh, it's it's very human. Uh, it's it's kind of what what metaphor does is language in you know normally has a certain limit, so certain words have certain meanings, but through metaphor through through art, you're able to kind of stretch those meanings out a little bit, make them, you know, stretch out a little bit more into the divine, a little bit more into the, into the supernatural. Beautiful, beautiful. And that's what humans have. I I don't think any other creature has this imagination like we have. So yes, it's a, it's a big blessing. It could be used in negative ways as well, but to harness the imagination in a wonderful way. Yeah. It's a great gift. No, only, only humans can 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 ponder, can think about yes. about uh, counterfactuals and whatnot. Yes. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, I I'm 
Yeah, I had a lovely discussion here. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Brecca uh, Getz. Uh, I, I'm the host, Chris Wright, Point Counterpoint with Counterpoint Media Productions. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>